Hey everybody, this is Paul from Make Teaching Sustainable, and I want to welcome you to the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. Today, we have Jenny Lewis joining us on the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. Jenny started teaching on Pittsburgh's north side in 1992. She's taught in three states, all grades, mostly high school. She taught Spanish, ELA, ELL, uh, social studies, and gifted and talented. She's been an instructional coach, an equity council lead, a dean of students, and an assistant principal. She said she burned out and resigned after the 2021-2022 school year, and she wanted to find a way to heal herself as well as support educators that are struggling through this massive shift and multiple worldwide crises. And as a result, she found positive intelligence. Immediately, she realized the myriad ways that positive intelligence could help educators struggling with burnout. And she is now an independent consultant who works to help educators raise their PQ. And we're going to learn more about what that means when we talk to Jenny today. So here goes nothing. Hey, Jenny, how's it going? I'm really good. How are you, Paul? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat too, because I think that we are definitely on the same page and have a lot of the same goals. So really excited. Totally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm finding a lot of people are really stoked to talk about sustainability. It just seems like it's 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 something that is on everyone's mind right now with with teacher retention and with teachers leaving. So before we dive into all that, though, um, will you tell all of us a little bit about yourself? Tell us who you are. What's your role? What's your story? If you want to go that far and what keeps you coming back to education? So, uh, yes, um, I'll start answering backwards. I think what keeps me coming back to education is I am a third generation educator. It's in my blood and um, just something that I have been super passionate about since I started teaching in 1992 in Pittsburgh's North Side. And um, I moved to Colorado in the 90s. I've taught in three different states, um, taught all the grade levels, but mostly high school, um, taught foreign language, English language arts, English language learners, social studies. I've been an instructional coach, dean of students. And then um, in the 21-22 school year um, was my uh, most recent year in a school. I was a new assistant principal and um, we were returning after a full year of being remote. I did teach remotely, so I do, you know, understand what uh, what a shift and, you know, uh, challenge that was for all of us. Um, but that following year as a new administrator um, really was what drove it home for me that it's not only unsustainable for teachers, but for administrators as well. Um, we were unable to fill teaching positions. We were shorthanded. I was subbing. We had a student that um, died tragically on the fourth day of school. This was a very small um, charter school that was more like, you know, a big family. So that was very tragic for all of us. And um, just like so many schools, we had so many multiple crises ongoing that I felt um all of the things that I went into administration for wanting to, to mentor and coach the younger teachers and create that positive culture and implement a restorative justice system. And 
And those all fell by the wayside when I just was putting out fires of, you know, breaking up fights and who's vaping in the bathroom and all those kinds of things. And um, I burned out and I kind of took restock of how did I want to continue contributing positively to education um, in a way that was sustainable for me. And that was when I discovered positive intelligence. They were offering a, um, a scholarship for coaches. And um, I had left teaching a couple of times previously uh, to explore having my own coaching business and always came back because I felt like my work wasn't done in the classroom or in school. Um, but this time was different because um, I was really new to positive psychology. I've been doing mindfulness and yoga and things like that for most of my adult life. But this was, um, for whatever reason, packaged in a way that was super effective for me. And um, I mean, it sounds so corny, but it has changed my life. And I was like, I wonder if I had had this in you know my my last year at school if it had would have made the difference and i just think daily about all of um, my colleagues that are are still in the classrooms especially right now that everybody's heading back to school and um you know that we're facing this tsunami of change in in schools and i i just feel like it's it's got to come from us not from legislators or corporations or anything else. It, it, whatever it's going to be to make it sustainable is it, it's got to come from the educators themselves. And um, so I really want to do everything I can to, to be a part of that and support it. Man, you said like a million things that I want to follow. <laughs> first of all, um, the first thing um, I'm so glad you are speaking both through the teacher lens and through the administrator lens, you know, guilty as charged when I was like a younger, more impulsive, maybe like stick it to the man kind of teacher. You know, I used to, I used to think like admins are the problem. This is an admin issue. And as, as I've, as I've grown old, older, as my hotspots and my prefrontal cortex have cooled, just ever so slightly. And through this project, through the sustainable teaching project, talking to administrators as well as teachers, because of course, most, almost all administrators were, have a lot of teaching experience, right? I've, I've learned that, you know, teachers and administrators actually have a lot more in common than you would think, right? Yes. And that they are also limited in terms of their influence and their power and what they can do to make teaching more sustainable for teachers. So I'm really grateful that you're able to speak through both of those lenses today. Um, Cause it's, it is important that we recognize the physical, emotional, spiritual labor that principals, superintendents, assistant principals, instructional coaches, people outside of self-contained classrooms are putting into this and the ways in which they're getting depleted by the system itself. And you know, I think you're right. It is going to be a collective effort. It's very, I think it's very sexy sometimes to say like, let's burn the system down. We need a new system. And it's mm-hmm. like, you, you're, you're right. We need a new system. But can we really do that overnight? And, and how much harm will that cause to people yes. in the short term 
by by creating a new system overnight, which is why I, I tend to take an approach of, hey, let's look at what's within our respective loci of control and let's try to make incremental shifts towards sustainability in a collective fashion. Um, so we can either kind of go down that yeah. road, you know, where like, like I would love to hear more of the, you know, like nitty gritty of either what you think is sustainable or unsustainable. And like, maybe we start talking about some of those incremental shifts. Like what are those shifts based on your experience? I mean, you've done so many different roles. Like you have such a, I'm sure such amazing insight into what those incremental shifts could be and look like. Yes. Um, boy, you said a lot too. And I think that incremental shifts are exactly the, the right way. We all probably have some PTSD from having to make that, you know, gigantic shift online uh, during the pandemic. And everything that I'm learning as a positive intelligence coach about the latest neuroscience absolutely backs up everything you're saying, Paul, that the way that we make change for us as individuals, changing our thought patterns and changing our habits is through slow incremental changes. And so that just makes sense that if it's an organization made up of all of us, that that's going to be the same thing. And as classroom teachers, we know that too, that, you know, you want to have your students in their zone of proximal development. You are not going to take your kindergarten students and then all of a sudden start teaching them, you know, algebra, right? Um, so right. it's, um, I think with positive intelligence, the it's kind of a marriage of mindfulness and cognitive behavior therapy. And so in its purest form, when you want to talk about simple imp- incremental changes, it's getting back in touch with your five senses to kind of shut off the parts of your brain that create those sabotaging thoughts that um, contribute to our negative um, emotions and, and feelings of stress. And it can be simple as taking two fingertips and rubbing them together with such attention that you can feel the fingertip ridges on both fingers. I'm doing it right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, you can't do that and and be stuck in your head. You can do that right in the moment when you have a, a room full of rowdy kiddos or an angry parent screaming at you and no one will know there. You don't need a meditation cushion or a gong or incense or anything like that. Um, there are many other techniques like that that you can use. And then the the kind of cognitive behavior therapy part, the, the thinking part, identifies um, nine sabotaging kind of thought patterns that we have, as well as five what they call sage powers. Um, sage meaning your your inner wisdom, your very best self. You know, when when you're at your very best, and um, it's just techniques to help you access that. And so what I have done is created some professional development, some resources for teachers that go through how to activate those five sage powers and apply them to your teaching. Um, for example, classroom management. Uh, one, of, one of the sage powers um, is uh, empathize. We can empathize with ourselves and uh, we can empathize with others. And I learned 
intuitively over decades of teaching and being a parent also, that when I was not empathizing with myself, when I was being really hard on myself, oh, you didn't grade those papers soon enough and the students are needing feedback and you're not helping your own kids with their work and you're a bad teacher and you're a bad mom and, and all of these things. Um, I would also come short on patience with my students and with my own kids and with my colleagues. And that was before I realized that that's because that's the area of the brain where I was residing. You're either being empathetic with yourself and others, or you're not being empathetic with yourself and you're not being empathetic with others. And there's just other relationship techniques like that. They use the yes and technique from improvisational theater. Um, it worked really well with high schoolers. I latched onto that right away because I had just done work with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Shiraki Holly culturally and linguistically responsive instruction. I had the good fortune to be uh, coached by him. And one of his uh, classroom management techniques is called VAB, V-A-B-B. And it's an acronym for validate, affirm, and build a bridge. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the same thing as yes and. So if you say to me, oh, I'm going to the bathroom right now. And I say, yes, Paul, I understand that you need to go to the bathroom and I'm giving instructions for this activity. So if you could wait just one moment, you're acknowledging that person and he brings in the whole uh, culture piece of it. But, you know, again, this is just an example of how you can take these strategies and apply them practically to make your life calmer, to increase your productivity, um, your focus, your time management. So positive intelligence has this metaphor of the surfer that we can't control the waves on the ocean, but we can become better surfers. And I think that applies to educators perfectly because um, as I said earlier, we're not facing just waves, we're facing a tsunami right now. And um, I wanna make it really, really clear that this is not about toxic positivity. I think we've all seen that video that went viral a few years ago of the teacher all stressed out walking down the hallway and he stops outside of his closed classroom door to like put the fake smile on his face. Yes, yes. Um, this is not that. I absolutely positively want to make part of my work helping teachers with self-advocacy because I think that's a huge part. And I know that that's um, for you too, as well, you know, as for making te uh, teaching sustainable is, uh, is the self-advocacy piece. So I don't mean like positivity and that everything is happy, la la, but um, positivity in that, you know, we're all coming from our best selves and um, to create the very best present that we can, not well, there's, always just there's, there's a balance there, right? Because, and I think the validate affirm piece of what you're saying is, is like, it's welcoming the I'm tired or, or it's welcoming some, something as simple as I need to go to the bathroom, but it could welcome more than that. Like I'm tired or I'm burnt out or I'm angry or I'm frustrated. Like it's welcoming all of that. Um, yeah. And, but also saying two things can happen at once here. Like, we can feel sad. We can feel angry. We can feel whatever, right? And right. we have things to get done. We have th we have learning to do. We have yes. we have yes. goals we're trying to achieve. And so sometimes that does mean regulating those unpleasant emotions in the moment and working through them while still maintaining your ability to function in the classroom. Whether it's that's a teacher doing that or whether that's a student doing that. 
Right. That's okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes saying no can be positive. I know that um, in my last year in the school as an assistant principal, um, we were having a faculty meeting and, and the um, the subject came up of, you know, making it safe for staff members to say, no, I have enough on my plate. I can't take that on right now. And I made the comment that I had just begun to learn that every time I said yes, when I should be saying no, that I was perpetuating this unsustainable system. And I saw one of my younger colleagues, you know, put her hands up in the air like, yes, you know, she finally, the Gen Xer gets it, you know, and um, I, I'm having to unlearn a lot of the, the glorification of the overwork of teaching and teaching as a calling and you need to, you know, get in touch with your why. And I'm sorry, but every single person who is in a school right now, they know their why or they wouldn't be there. They're, that's like it, so insulting to me. I mean, it's, it's kind of used, that. that's kind of used sometimes. And it's not to say that everybody says this is trying to do this, but it's what happens. Sometimes that find your why thing is is used as a way to manipulate a little bit, whether people are yes. doing it consciously or unconsciously, like it, it is, that is the impact of it sometimes that it, 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 it forces or convinces or conditions teachers to go, Ooh, I should put my feelings to the side because the kids matter the most and kids, the kids matter. We're all there for the kids. That's why we do it. We don't, we don't sign up to become teachers because we think we're going to get rich off of it. We do it because we really love this. And we, I mean, we want to be compensated fairly for it. Right. But we don't do it because we're seeking, you know, to be, we're, we're looking for, for, to be rich, right? We do it because we right, right. care about the kids. The kids are our why. And we can use the yes. And here and say, yes, you know, the, my kids are my why. And I deserve to be treated as a human being and I deserve to be paid well. And I deserve to have a sustainable, manageable workload so that I can go home and take care of my kids and do my hobbies on the weekend and, and enjoy other parts of my life outside of my classroom it shouldn't be where that's you know that we're absolutely i think you know we keep talking about the mental health uh crisis epidemic among young people and oh the screens and the pandemic and and social unrest and we don't talk about that their teachers are unwell and it comes back to that old adage of if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy you know or, or put your own oxygen mask on first how in the world are we expecting teachers to take care of students when they're not well cared for themselves? And so I think that that is a huge piece of it is the advocacy for, you know, I need to put my own oxygen mask on first so that my students are, are getting a whole person and, you know, not just a, a shadow of, <laughs> of who you would oh, otherwise be. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're also advocating for this sort of thing, um, for, for this to be taught to kids too. Is that what you say? in the works. So bringing positive intelligence into schools is in its infancy. Um, I am in a community of practice with other positive intelligence coaches with an education background. Um, and uh, as I know, as far as I know right now, there's there's a handful of us, you know, in the country 
the Positive Intelligence Organization is in the process of coming up with um, an app that's uh, specific for children. The, the six-week program that they have right now has a an app for your phone that um, gives you reminders when to do the the mental fitness exercises and has you know like a, a chat feature and so forth. And um, when I was first getting into it and trying to kind of find my niche, as it were, did I want to continue working with young people? Did I want to work with teachers and so forth? Um, I led a group of recent high school graduates through it, about half and half college students and um, going straight into the workforce. And their feedback was overwhelmingly that they felt that it was geared towards adults. Mm. And technically, these young people are adults, right? So I feel like... Um, there's tremendous, huge potential to teach positive intelligence to students. I've been an SEL coordinator um, for the little charter school I work for and or that I did work for. And I understand, you know, the importance of SEL. And but I think that we have to roll this out right. And it's just like you and I were talking about at the beginning of the conversation is that we're going to be more effective with slow incremental changes. Um, there are some people who are you know, going into schools and, and teaching these mental fitness techniques to kids. But for me personally, I, I understand and appreciate their efforts. Absolutely. But I also, as a teacher, former teacher, feel that um, if the students have the techniques and the vocabulary and the teachers and staff don't, then it's not going to be effective. Everyone has to have that common language and those common techniques. And then if a student says, oh, you know, I really feel miss that I, I am not in stage mode right now. You know, Jimmy hit me and I'm really fired up. I, I need to like go in the quiet corner and do some PQ reps. Well, then that, you know, they have that common language. But if the teacher doesn't know what he's talking about, that's not going to, and the teacher can't support him with it. Right. So, um, but that is something that positive intelligence is rolling out. And I think um, the the possibilities for for schools are is just limitless. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And I'm going to ask you this next question, not from a place of disagreeing or from I, I have some of my own thoughts on it, but I want to hear about it from you first. So I write I write a little bit about um, SEL, executive functioning and even classroom management in make teaching sustainable in the collectivism over individualism mindset shift and in the empowerment over control mindset shift. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, how does teaching SEL, teaching positive intelligence, teaching executive functioning explicitly, how does that make classrooms more sustainable? I'll leave it there. How does it make classrooms more sustainable? <laughs> It makes classrooms more sustainable because students have those relationship skills that they need to get along with each other in the classroom. They have um, the vocabulary, the the emotion words to describe what they're feeling, you know, so they don't have to run down the hallway and punch a hole in the wall. They can they can express themselves um, with words. And then I think, you know, with with positive intelligence. Two comes that um, empowerment over um, control piece. And, and one of the things that I really like about positive intelligence and its potential for SEL is that with all of the political unrest and, you know, the so-called culture wars that we're experiencing, um, I know that in some communities around the country, 
there's some pushback against SEL that parents are saying that, well, you're, you know, the teachers are trying to impose their personal values on my kids and that's things that should be taught at home. And um, positive intelligence just teaches you how to get in touch with your own higher self and your own values and whatever your family's culture brings to the table. It's not imposing anybody else's values. And so I think that has, um, you know, tremendous, even though that that honors in the individual that supports collectivism um, because it's culturally inclusive. And and so I think, um, yeah, that that's uh, that's going to have a lot of positive that that whole values thing really just us like teachers imparting values upon the kids like really it like gets under my skin because as a queer teacher like that has been used against me you know like it's not your place to impart your personal values or your lifestyle or whatever you know sh- to share to share your identity and i'm like okay so it's okay so so basically what you're saying then is I'm supposed to use your values in how I operate my classroom, but not mine. And it's with your values, you are one parent of one student in my classroom. But what about the other 23? What about the parent over there that says, oh, yeah, I do want you to teach anti-racism, you know, curriculum or or I do want you to talk about feelings and emotions in the classroom. So I'm supposed to center your values over over their values like the whole values discussion just really like which is this is this is me totally recognizing by the way that i'm about to get myself on a tangent so i'm not going to go down this road too far okay okay yeah you and i could definitely keep talking about that i had a queer dad i have a queer daughter and um i feel that the whole thing about i i had been told when the whole standardized testing high stakes testing i was extremely critical and vocal against that. I was butting heads with my principal constantly. I was told to keep my politics out of the classroom and out of the job place and consider working somewhere else, which I eventually did. I called his bluff, but teaching is a political act. There is no getting around that. The, The way that you get around it is, you know, for example, if you're teaching history, you're using primary sources. You know, the firsthand accounts and pictures and so that you're telling the story from all points of view. Right. And so I, I feel like it's the same thing that if you were not telling your own authentic story, you're not only cheating yourself, you're cheating your students. Right. Because who might be sitting in their, your classroom that, you know, absolutely needs you as a role model that you they can connect to. Right. Um and I mean, again, we're going off on a tangent, but <laughs> it's important. I, I, it's... I grew up with an alcoholic father because he was in the closet. And so I have extremely wow. strong feelings about that. And I mean, um, thank you for sharing that. With us. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, think... I shared it with students all the time because it was one of the quickest ways to shut down homophobia, yep. to make them realize that there are some really serious consequences of this, you know? Well, I think people don't realize that everything is political, right? Everything. Yeah, everything. And, yeah. And, and the people who are saying it's not political are the people generally, generally speaking, with dominant identities who are benefited by the system as is. And, um, you know, because, yeah, I, 
as a queer teacher, like I've tried to bring, you know, queer curriculum in obviously developmentally appropriate queer curriculum into sure. elementary schools before. And it it does go down that road of like, well, let's not politicize this, Paul. Like, you know, this is not the right time. That's, that's your personal life. And I'm like, wait a second. Like we can read stories about mommies and daddies and we can read stories about Cinderella trying to find her handsome prince, which hate to break it to you, that's lust and sexuality right there. Like we're able to share that story, right? But we're not able to share a story about like a kid with two dads where there's actually nothing even related to romance or, yeah. or lust or anything like that. But we can share like a fairy tale. It's just, it's it's nuts to me. It Like it drives me bananas. Um, but anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, I get on this tangent and I just like can't get back from it. Um, well, I, it's a tangent, but it does relate in, in terms of sustainability, because if we don't let teachers be themselves, that is not sustainable. Yes. Oh, you're so good at, you should be hosting this because <laughs> you got us right back on track. Um, well, that's, you know, it's it's interesting where actually we are, are, this conversation is living in the first three mindset shifts. So humanity over industry, um, collectivism over individualism, empowerment over control. And I did sort of structure everything in such a way where those three sat next to each other because I feel like they tug on each other, right? Like yes. in order for in order for you to even get to a place where teachers and kids feel comfortable being vulnerable and to feel comfortable being vulnerable enough to say, I'm hurting today and I need this, or like you know, mm-hmm. I'm angry at so-and-so because this happened and for them to be regulated enough to even come and start that conversation, they have to feel like their humanity is valued and that they're seen as yes. a person, right? Because yes. I think kids and I think teachers sometimes too start to act out when they feel like there is no other mechanism for them to be seen and heard, period. End Absolutely. Of yes. Yeah. So- and I, and I was going to add to what you were saying, too, about how this all relates to sustainability. Like the more and more conversations I have about this, the more and more it comes back to this idea of energy and that our energy reserves are finite. Right. We can recharge our batteries by doing things we love, by taking breaks from teaching, by eating good food, by you know, all these things we can take breaks and regenerate. Right. Um, but it all comes back to energy. And to me, the the best solution for or one of the best solutions for making teaching more sustainable is partnering with kids and making them more self-sufficient and independent not in a way where they can't ask us for help but for instance like emotional regulation if we have kids coming into our classrooms that have a toolbox of emotional regulation skills where they can resolve a conflict with a friend without involving a teacher or just go you know what i'm feeling really anxious right now i'm gonna go over to the the peace corner and grab a stretching yeah. mat and just stretch for 20 seconds. I don't have to ask permission to do this. I just know my body needs it. And then I'm going to get back yeah. to the game and I'm going to do what I need to do for school. Like that to me is sustainable teaching in action right there, but it requires a really, um, a really refined knowledge of self and, and a knowledge of what to do when your body needs something to regulate or your mind, or your heart needs something to regulate. Yes. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally speaking the, the PQ language. Um, one of the um, sage powers is activate um, and that's preempt the saboteurs. So that's thinking ahead of time about 
something that might trigger you, you know, like you were saying, you get really triggered by the values discussion. So, you know, you know, that's going to come up. Okay. What am I going to do? Am I going to rub two fingertips together? Maybe I'm going to like study the other person's forehead really intensively or, you know, whatever it is that's going to bring you back into your, your five senses. And And I didn't um, do that. I just jumped right in. I was like, let's talk about this. This makes me angry. Yeah. Yeah. No. um, That's what I'm saying is I just think back to, and we're kind of circling back again, how that year that I was assistant principal, um, I was not an effective administrator and I deserved the criticism that I got from my teachers. And it was because I was not in, like you say, it's about energy, the energy. And, and we all know every classroom teacher knows that energy is contagious, right? Um, I used to work with a woman who would coach teachers and say, if you don't believe that your mood is contagious, go into your classroom and act like you're really pissed off. I dare you. Because you know exactly what's going to happen, right? And so that if I had had, just like you're saying, if I had had that tool to, you know, before I launched into my, oh, I hate the values discussion thing. You know, if I'd had that tool to be able to regulate my emotional state to have healthy boundaries to protect myself from others energy um, so that I wasn't picking up on that and also not depleting myself. I, one of my saboteurs, I have a very strong pleaser and it's, I'm finding now that I'm in this work that a lot of us educators um, have very strong pleasers and then we really do deplete ourselves, especially if you're a parent or, you know, you have family members or even your, your needy dog, right? You know, that, that feeling of coming home from work and feeling like you have nothing left, like you're just this empty vessel, um, I think is more crucial to the whole uh, teacher attrition conversation than, than any of us are talking about. Well, maybe you're talking about it. <laughs> well, there's I, so much to talk about with this, right? Like, yeah. it's, just, it's mm-hmm. so complicated and it's it's so nuanced. And you just said another thing that resonated with me um, around boundaries and like having boundaries and what, what type, I mean, there's, we could do probably six episodes on boundaries, right? Just, you know, yep. the types of boundaries there are, how to know when your boundaries being crossed. I and mean, one of the most powerful things I ever learned with regard to emotional intelligence, and I say that it's a really big statement to say, but I come back to it so much is that anger is anger is indicative of a boundary issue. So when yes. you're when you're angry, it means either like a boundary's been crossed, and maybe you didn't communicate that boundary to that person, and so maybe it's not their fault, or maybe you did communicate that boundary to that person. They crossed it anyway. You know mm-hmm. that's what anger is, and and you know. Perhaps that's one thing for anyone who's listening, like take that with you today. When you're feeling angry at school, like it's a boundary issue. So you have to take some time to reflect and go, well, what, what's the boundary that's been crossed? Did I communicate that boundary to someone else? And if I didn't, then I need to go and do that and have that hard conversation. And if I did, then I need to have a different hard conversation where I say, hey, I set this boundary and you crossed it again. And I need you not to do that anymore. You know, it's, and that is, you know, that's just one aspect of this work, I think, on sustainability is building those emotional competencies. Um, I truly mean it when I say 
we could probably have six more episodes talking about this. So if you're open to it, yeah. I'd love to have you back sometime to talk more about this, especially as you I would more, absolutely love to I learn more. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, I'm interested to hear from folks, I should say, about the impact of social emotional learning, executive functioning training, um, positive intelligence training on their classrooms. Um, so if you're listening and you want to join me at some point on the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast, you can reach out to Paul at maketeachingsustainable.org. We can continue these conversations. I'd love to have you back as well, Jenny. Um, Jenny, can you tell listeners where they can reach out to you, find more about, find out more about the work you do um, and get in contact with you? Yes. Um, thank you so much, Paul, for having me. And I would definitely love to come back. Please find me at pqeducator.com. PQ is your positivity quotient. You have your IQ. Now we want you to raise your PQ. So it's pqeducator.com. My email is jlewis at pqeducator.com. And you can also find me at link on LinkedIn. I have a PQ Educator page and my LinkedIn page is Jenny Lewis. So thanks again so much, Paul. And I look forward to continuing this conversation and I can't wait to uh, read your book. Well, thanks so much, Jenny. It was great chatting with you today. And that wraps this week's episode of the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. Of course, a very special thank you to Jenny Lewis for joining us this week. As a reminder, you can find me, Paul, at Sustain Teaching on Instagram and Twitter, and you can head to maketeachingsustainable.org to learn more about the Make, Se Make Teaching Sustainable project. Also, if you'd like to join me on this podcast, I would absolutely love to have you. You can shoot me an email at paul at maketeachingsustainable.org, and we'll chat about some times for you to come on and talk to us about how to make teaching sustainable. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great week.